Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Good. It's so good to be with all of you today. God is good, isn't he? He's doing great things as well around the world. We're um, just celebrating. Pam and I went to see the Jesus Revolution. Has anybody seen that yet? Just put your hands up. It was, and we're going back again at one o'clock today. It's playing right across the street, all right? So I, my brother during the, during the Jesus people days went to a school in Texas and he went to a coffee house there and the Holy Spirit fell on them and just empowered them and then he came back to Pennsylvania, told us, hey man, the Holy Spirit can fall on people. He's still doing that today. I had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit when I was 13 years old. All of this movie kind of reminds me of all of that. And we're praying and believing God for another outpouring of his spirit. Amen. Listen, there's only one hope for America, and that's Jesus Christ, man. We can change all the laws we want, but you give a bunch of laws to people who don't want to follow them, and it's just chaos, right? So we just need a transformation of, of human hearts. And, and what I want to talk about today as well is just, um, you know, we're going through the book of Peter. And there's a great advantage to going through a book as we're looking at it because it forces you to touch on things that you might not. And everything in the scriptures is inspired by the Lord. Uh, the foundation of everything that God is doing, the foundation is measured according to the word of God. Man, it is unchangeable. It is consistent. And um, it's just like a, it's an, an anchor that lets us know that we can measure everything in this life. The Bible deals with everything, whether it comes to finances. Look at Peter. He's talking about how to be in a good relationship with your government, <laughs> then how to be in good relationship with your spouses, how to be in good relationship with one another, like all these things. God just deals with everything on, on these issues. And so today we're just going to be looking at what kind of, what kind of leaders does God with, want within a church. So imagine this, okay? I'm, I'm going to give a job description about what a pastor is supposed to look like while I stand here in front of you, all right? So if you want to grab one of the offering envelopes and hold it up at the end of the sermon, you can put a one or a 10 or anything in between, but that the, bot the bottom line is this, is that God is coming for a church that is going to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. He's coming for a church that's going to look like Jesus. And you can't have a church that looks like Jesus when you've got shepherds hogging the spotlight. It'll look like the shepherds. And so that's what Peter wants to talk about. You know, the Bible says this concerning God's people. And what, one of the powerful things about what Peter's talking about right now is how that God wants to cast aside this idea that the leaders in the church are more spiritual or better qualified or God's favor. I better get to a pastor and have him pray for me because then I'll get healed. I don't want anybody else praying for me in the church because I want the pastor to pray for me. That, that is further, you couldn't get further from a biblical understanding about who we all are in Christ and what we all share together. Now, the Bible does say if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Why? Because you might find yourself in a place where your faith isn't that strong. Sometimes it is harder to believe when you're the one feeling the pain for a healing. It's so much easier to pray for someone else when they're sick, isn't it? Then when you're sick, you got all that contradiction going on inside your body, and then believing can get really tough. 
So the Bible says you can call for the elders of the church. And why does it say the elders? Well, not because anybody else can't pray for you, but hopefully the elders are walking in faith, all right? So that's the very principle of all this. What we want to look at today is just what is the kind of church that when it goes through hard times, what should that leadership look like? What does God want leadership to look like? Now, I just want to say this as well. I believe that every, every believer is a leader. You're a leader somewhere. If, whether, if you, you might be on the bottom rung of the company that you work at, but when it comes to the things of God... You lead that environment. You lead them in righteousness. You lead them in the standard of what's right or wrong. You're leaders in your homes. You're leaders in your families. You're leaders in your neighborhood. What do I mean that? You lead people to understand what Jesus looks like. And so our churches here, why does it exist? If it, if it is an institutional club, it serves no purpose at all. But if it represents Jesus and represents them well, that's why we're here. If a pastor doesn't represent Jesus, then the whole church is off track. And the thing is this, you know, they were talking, and I've shared this before, but I've loved this example because it hit me as a young man when I read about Spurgeon, probably one of the most eloquent English-speaking pastors in the world in history, and then there was another rival in London who preached just really well-executed, well-thought-out sermons, and crowds would go to hear him as well because he was just known for his oratory. And Spurgeon was a man who really sought the Spirit of God and really credited what God did through his ministry because of his encounter of an endowment of power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him. But one man went to both men's churches in London and he said, when you went to this one man's church, you walked out of there and said, wow, what a preacher. But when you went to Spurgeon's church, you walked out and said, wow, what a savior. Amen. And see, that's what we want, man. We want Jesus to be glorified, right? We want Jesus Christ to be seen. So this sermon puts me, it's a great equalizing sermon, even though I'm standing only for the advantage of people being able to be able to see what they're hearing but it doesn't suggest anything other than that for the sake of group dynamics. But this doesn't elevate me in any way. And if it did, you know, what, we, what we've got to strive for is the elevation of Jesus Christ. The last day's church, the day that the scriptures describe is that, that when darkness covers the earth, and that day has been predicted for millennia, a darkness will cover the earth. And deep darkness will even get into the hearts of individuals. But the Lord says, but I will arise upon you. And my, my glory will appear upon you. There will be a glory that God has for his people while they walk on a dark world and in the dark earth where there will be no rival to that glory. There'll be nobody hogging the spotlight. I really believe that there is a day in the New Testament church is walking in that because when we understand about these leaders, these leaders were the first to die. The Apostle Paul said concerning the leaders of the New Testament of church, you know what he called them? The scum of the earth. It's not because that's what they were, but that's how people treated them. The scum of the earth, the rabble rousers, the cult pushers in every town that they went. And the 
But that, see, that just brought a desire for the leaders of the church to just understand, if I step into this position, I'm going to pay a price. If I step in this position, I'm going to be hated. And there's only one reason why I would do this. It's because I believe in Jesus and I believe in the glory of Jesus. And they, they saw the glory of God in miracles and signs and wonders that were happening. And in the last day's church as well, when the darkness covers the earth, God has a glory that will be visible upon his people. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe it'll be the same glory that clothed Adam and Eve before the fall. They didn't realize that they were naked in the moment they sinned. They saw each other as naked. Why? They no longer were robed in the glory of God. But God has a glory for his people, and I believe that it's coming. But what does that mean? That the day of the celebrity pasture has got to be, it's got to end. Now, I'm not, listen, everybody in the room just picture somebody. That's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean that someone might not be very visible or prominent in their activity in the body of Christ, but the things that men honor, God does not honor. And the things that God honors, mankind tends to not honor. And at the end of the day, the honor and the glory has to be to Jesus. We got Jerry coming on staff now, which is really a blessing, and we feel like we're regrouping and getting our legs back. But the thing is, is that with him coming here, one of the things that we want to focus on it's just been on my heart for a while. Is that like, how do we get the centrality of Jesus back into our gathering? Right? How do we, how do we get when people come to the church, they see Jesus? You never met me, you didn't miss anything. You never met Jesus, you miss everything. Right? And so if we get to the point, like even, you know, I think that somehow our, our communion was even interrupted through the... COVID scare, you know, and then we're popping the lid, you know what I mean? And it's just, I'm not diminishing that. I want to be really careful about that because the, the power is not in the elements. The power is in the faith that receives those things. But I, I, I just want us to get to the point where, where, where people come and they, they see Jesus. And that's what's so important. It was important to Peter. And so as we're looking through the Word of God today, we're just going to talk about something that is very relevant to us today and to the last days as well. What should pastors look like? But you're all leaders in some area of your, uh, of your world as well, and these are all qualities that we all want to strive for. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, and um, let's just move through these verses right here. Therefore I urge elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and one who is also a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness. Nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Father, I want to thank you for the word of the Lord today. And I thank you for, it's, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for myself. I pray for our elders and I pray for our congregation that we would all live for the glory of Jesus Christ. You said, Jesus, if you're high and lifted up, you'll draw everyone to yourself. So I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I know that there are people sitting in this room that are weighing the idea of whether they feel called to the ministry or not. 
And just understanding in all of that, I just want you to know that it's a great honor to, be, to, to seek that opportunity. It's an honor to be able to serve the Lord, but understanding this as well. If you seek the position of pastor, elder, bishop, those all mean the same thing. Shepherd, all those kind of things. In all of those things, we just understand that, that, that it's a great honor and privilege to be able to serve the Lord in that way, but there's a higher judgment that rests upon that individual. So that when, when you all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I do as well, I am aware of this, is that I will answer on behalf of each and every one of you as well. And that's a higher judgment that I've allowed myself to be placed to. Yet at the same time, I can't imagine doing anything else. Why? Because I'm called. Here's the thing. If you're not called, don't try to do it because it's not a position where God, you'll become one of God's favors. It has nothing to do with that. It's just a calling. Doesn't mean that you're better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you in almost any church, there are better people than the guy standing behind the pulpit. It's nothing to do with that. It's about who is called. Your pastor's in process. Some people of you are further down the road in process than I am. But the bottom line is this. God, God called us here. God's, God's called us the shepherd here. And so in that calling, when a young man or a young woman comes to me and says, I feel like I'm, I'm to give myself completely, vocationally, to the service of the Lord, I just tell them, try to do anything else. Please, that's my advice to you. Pastor, I'm trying to decide. Should I be a farmer or a pastor? Go for farmer, trust me. <laughs> be a farmer. Do it. Do it with all your heart. Why would I say something like that? Don't we need more people out there helping to pastor and shepherd the churches? Yeah, but you, wanna, you don't want anybody in that position who's not called. Because if you're not called, it's not worth it. But if you're called, it's so important. And it's so valuable. So I can tell them, try to be a farmer. Because that way I know that if they're truly called, they won't be able to be a farmer no matter how much they love it. Because the call will bring them into that place. And the call will get them. Because the Bible says this, faithful is he who calls you, who will also bring it to pass. So if you feel called into vocational ministry, do something else. God is the one who can bring it to pass. And then there, you'll also know that the Lord is the one who's called you. And I would also say this. If you are five years into the ministry and you're still wondering if you should have been a farmer, it's not going to work well for you, okay? You're going to want to quit. Every single day, you're going to get up and just say, man, I wish I was a farmer. But the thing is this, is that when you're called, you, you just get this sense, like, I can't do anything else. I mean, I really don't know what else I would do. It's just that sense of the calling of God. So the, the apostle Peter says this, Therefore I urge elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and one who is also a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. I just want to unwrap that for a moment. Here's Peter just talking about all the elders that are scattered all over Asia, Asia Minor. I mean, these, these are persecuted people, right? Stephen was stoned to death and then... Persecution went off the rails in Jerusalem and believers found themselves everywhere. Now, every time in the Bible it mentions the apostles, Peter is named first. 
Because of his visibility, because of his zeal, Peter, whether he was right or wrong, he's going to do it with all of his heart. All right? God bless him. And so he decided, you know, he, he was the first one to jump out of the boat. That's who Peter was. So he had a visual preeminence. There's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't his calling card. That wasn't what he handed to you. Hey, P, I'm Peter. I'm going to tell you elders how to behave. This whole idea, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody today, but this idea that the descendants of Peter, which is called the papal line and the pope, where you end up in beautiful apartments and vestures and, and that, you know, that, that kind of leadership is never what Christ intended from the very beginning. I don't mean to offend you in that, but this whole idea that the leaders of the church, they wear, they wear robes. What is that? Just to distinguish themselves. Does anybody else get to wear a robe? Maybe the choir boys, but no one's going to follow them. So we'll put one on the pastor of the church, right? And it sets them apart. Then everybody thinks, oh, that's the man of the cloth. That's the holy man. But you know what? At the end of the day, man, it's all meant to be about Jesus. The church should just be equalizing all of us. There is no idea in the scriptures of the succession of the line of Peter. Because even the apostle Peter, when he wrote to the elders, he said, I just come to you as a fellow elder, a fellow pastor. That's how he saw himself. And that mentality, man, permeated that man's ministry. And he says, I come to you as a fellow elder that was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. In other words, is this. Here's my only calling card, is this. I saw Jesus. That was it. What qualifies a man to lead other people spiritually? Has he had an encounter with Jesus? Now, we understand that Peter's encounter with the sufferings of Jesus were kind of a failed attempt at spirituality. As soon as Jesus began to suffer, Peter was the first one to deny the Lord three times. He walked away from the Lord, and he would be numbered among, let me just read a passage for you that I have here when it talks about what, at best, Peter might have been. Around the sixth hour, when Jesus was being crucified, a darkness came over the entire land until the ninth hour, because the sun stopped shining and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And having said this, he died. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, this man was in fact innocent. And all the crowds that came together for this spectacle, after watching what had happened, began to return home, beating their chests. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. At best, Peter was standing at a distance, and he observed the sufferings of Christ. We do know that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the distress got so intense upon Jesus that it's, it's rarely ever been witnessed. It's, been ha it's happened to others in the time of history. He was under such physical duress and blood pressure that his capillaries were bursting and that the, the blood was coming through his sweat pores. That, that is what was happening to Jesus. Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ as our sins were being placed Upon him, And Jesus just says to him, I, I just want you to know, I'm coming to you, yes, as a fellow elder. Yes, I am a leader in the body of Christ. But at the same time, here's the only ground I have to stand on, is that I know who Jesus is. And I know that he suffered for me. 
And then he also says this, is that not only am I a sharer in the observance of the sufferings of Christ, but I am also share in the glory that will be revealed. And that's, what, what sentence is that? I just talked about the day that's coming when God says when a darkness covers the earth that the, the glory of the Lord will appear upon his people. But what, did, what happened, what was the event where Peter saw Christ expressing the glory that all Christians are going to share in. That happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. And let me read this story for you in case you're not familiar with it. Peter, James, and John were invited by Jesus to go to the top of the mountain. And some people think that Jesus, when he appeared in this glorified state, was, a, was demonstrating his deity. But that's not what it says. It says, when you see Jesus, you, they saw him in the glory of the Son of God coming in the glory of heaven. They saw Jesus with the glory of heaven upon him, radiating through him. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 17. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter responded and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you want, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. And raising their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself only. The apostle Peter, when he was writing to other pastors, said, I'm just a fellow partaker of the glory that will be revealed. When did he see that glory? He saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he had a genuine encounter with seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. But let's understand what his response was. His encounter with God was not his bragging rights and his calling card in order to be able to minister. He didn't make that the story of his life where everywhere he went, he just introduced to everybody, let me know what my relationship with Jesus is and this vision that I had or this, this, this open door that happened to me spiritually. It says when Peter had an encounter with God. And I think that we need to maybe measure encounters that people are declaring they're having with God because the response of that individual is they fall on their face before the Lord and they tremble before God. And the apostle Peter, in his encounter, experienced the fear of the Lord and he understood his own humanity and he saw the glory of Jesus. And Peter is just saying to this, when I'm writing to all of your churches that are scattered everywhere, I... I want you to know that I see you this way, that we are far fellow partakers in the glory that shall be revealed. The Apostle, Paul didn't, the Apostle Peter did not build his glory on vestments, and he didn't build it on being able to wave a censer, and he didn't build it <coughs> excuse me, on the idea that you, you come to him and confess your sins to him, and then he'll take him to the Father. None of that stuff had anything to do with anything. He says, we are all, you and me, brothers and sisters, we are fellow partakers in the glory that we will share together in Jesus Christ. See, what's, what's going to happen is heaven will be the great equalizer. 
And so whether we are the people that maybe were raised in a first world nation and in nice clothes and nice cars and nice homes and nice careers and great education, when we enter into the glory of Jesus, we're going to be with third world brothers and sisters who never had a day of education. They can't read a, a written word on a page. They never had nice clothes. They never had a pair of shoes. They never had an education. They didn't have a great story. And they don't even know what a good meal tastes like. And yet when we all get to heaven, see, we're all going to enter into the fullness of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? See, in the church's established leadership to bring some kind of divide between those that are leaders in the church and those that aren't, and that those who are not leading inside the church feel as though in some ways they're spiritually, they're a second-rate citizen, and there can't be anything further from the truth at all. You and I share the same glory, the same access to God the Father. No priest stands between you and God. The Bible says there's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If you confess your sins to a priest so he can take them to God, first off, how do you know that he did it? And secondly, you just confessed your sins to a sinner who didn't confess his sins back to you, and you're going to have him go to God? I'm not trying to be derogatory here, but the bottom line is this, man, you have direct access to Jesus. Oh, I got to get the pastor to pray for me. No, you don't have to get the pastor to pray for you. You have bold and confident access through the blood of Jesus Christ to come boldly before the throne of God to find grace and mercy in your time of need. And that's the way it is. I'm only here standing in this position because it was God's will that I stand in this position. But the Bible says this, is that the most visible members of a body are the least important. It is the internal organs that no one can see that actually are what cause the body to remain functioning in all of its fullness. All of us are so important to one another. And Peter just comes to them and says, look, we're just all fellow elders together. We're working this out together. A man who's in the ministry stands up before you, man. You have good Sundays and you have bad Sundays. You have good weeks and you have bad weeks. I can't tell you more than once. I mean, Pam and I raised our children through all the years of ministry. You don't think that we had times when our hearts were broken? I'm telling you what, but you know what you do? You get up. Why? Because you stand in that position according to the will of God. I don't stand in this position because I feel like it. If I came to church when I felt like it. No, I'm just kidding. The thing is this. We love coming to church, all right? That's just the bottom line. And, and you do too as well. But this whole idea is, well, I didn't feel like going to church today. Thank God the good shepherd, the big pastor, wasn't only obedient to the Father when he felt like it. The good shepherd had days when he enjoyed the fellowship of his disciples, and then he had days when he wept his heart out. That's what it looked like for him. See, being the good shepherd and caring for the sheep didn't mean that you did it when you had a good day and that you didn't do it when you had a bad day. Or just say, hey, I'll just step back. When this whole idea, man, I, listen, I need you, you need me, you all need each other, we all need each other. In all of that, man, we all, th this, is, this is the whole thing here, is that we are a community and we are a family and we are here for each other and we serve each other and we love each other and we honor each other and we do everything we possibly can to help each other get through life so that when you're weak, hopefully I can be strong, but when I'm weak, you can be strong. That's how it works. 
just fellow elders, Peter says. He didn't, he didn't pull any other card. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, even the apostle Peter says that we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and for all eternity. The apostle Peter is saying this, we are a body of people growing together and we've got to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm growing while I'm shepherding you. While we were pastors at a, a, a large church and, and the whole church fell apart and all the pastors were gone, all the board of directors resigned, we were all just out there. And I was actually feeling like, God, what do you honor? What is church? What are elders? What, you know, what is it that you do? And I just knew inside of my heart, I needed to get back into the call of God upon my life and I needed to get back into the call that the Lord has upon the body of the Lord Jesus Christ because we can't afford to stop growing. We can't afford to stop pursuing. You can't put your faith in me. You can't put your faith in your favorite Bible teacher online. You can't put your faith anywhere else except in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to see your pastor. You need a vision of Jesus. That's what it comes down to. And in all of that, the Lord was just saying to us, we are all growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so after that calamity happened at that church, we stepped out and ministered. And sometimes, man, I think I still had spiritual PTSD, you know, and getting up into the pulpit and just sharing. But you know what we do, man? We, be, we remain steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord for our labor will not be in vain in the Lord. We are committed to each other and we are committed ultimately above all else to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're committed together. And the Apostle Peter says, I want you to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not with greed, but with eagerness. So he uses several, ter several terms. He uses elder, he uses um, overseer, and he uses the word um, shepherd. Shepherd, elder, and overseer. Now, the word for shepherd in the original language is poimen, and it means what it sounds like, a shepherd. Then the other one is elder, and that's the word presbyteros in Greek, and that's where we get the word presbyterian. And then there's the bishop, an overseer, and that's the word episkopos. That's where you get the word episcopalian. So let me tell you what church history has done to those words. They're all meant to mean the same thing. But if you have a system where there's a bishop who oversees all, like a bunch of churches, and then he has the final word over all those churches, the one bishop, then it's an Episcopal church. It's a bishop church. If it's a church that's run by elders within that body, then it's an elder church, and it's a presbyteros church. It's Presbyterian. So that's where we get those words, right, where they come from. You say, I didn't get what you just said. Good for you. That'll only mess with your head, all right? So, but all of these things are merely meant to say the same thing, and it's about shepherding the flock of God. Now, I've been in situations where I've heard pastors say, you know, uh, the sheep, what, what do you know about sheep? All they do is keep their head to the ground. They're looking at the next blade of grass. They need to be led everywhere. They're not so smart, and they need shepherds. And that completely goes against everything that the Bible teaches us. The shepherd is just a, it is a, it's a role inside the church. Uh, sometimes if I call you and say, hey, this is Pastor Jim. Pastor is not a label of, of, of a, in a hierarchy. It's, it's a job description. That's what I'm called to do, to shepherd people, to help them. And the Bible just says this, is that, that shepherding is so important, but the, the, 
the heart of the shepherd has to be tender towards God. Here's what Peter, now remember, Peter's writing out of his experience with Jesus. And in John chapter 21, Peter had denied the Lord three times. He said, I don't know him. When Jesus needed him most, he denied the Lord. Jesus was then crucified. At best, Peter stood off at a distance to watch the crucifixion. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And what is the first person that he made a beeline towards, or one of the first people that we find out he ministered to, was the man who just betrayed, denied knowing him three times. He goes to Peter. So Peter's writing this book out of that. This is the leader of Peter speaking. Jesus, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is the risen Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. Here was the call of Jesus on Peter to become a shepherd and to take care of sheep, right? To take care of his people. Here, who is the ultimate shepherd of this church? It's Jesus Christ himself. Any other elder or shepherd is an under-shepherd. That's why we got to give all the glory to Jesus. But think about what Jesus did when he came to Peter. It was very important for Jesus to teach his disciples how they're to lead. Peter had failed the Lord th three times. Now, in the original Greek, you don't get that here what, what you, when you read it in English. And I don't know why they don't do it this way. But here's how it actually is written in the Greek in the original language that the scripture was written in. Jesus goes to Peter, and Peter says, Peter, do you love me? And what you don't see in our translation is that Peter actually responded to the Lord and said, Lord, you know I like you. Use a different word. And Jesus says, okay, um, feed my lambs. Feed the little ones. So Jesus then says to Peter a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter the second time says to the Lord, Lord, I like you. And Jesus just says, shepherd my sheep. And then he says to Peter the third time, Peter, do you like me? And that's why the scripture then says, and then it hurt Peter that Jesus asked him the third time, do you like me? And then you would think that that would cause Peter to aspire to say, Lord, I love you. But no, he kept it right there. He said, Lord, you know I like you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, that's how it reads in the original language. So we've seen this whole process here of Peter being called of God, but Peter was a work in progress. Peter was a ton of work. And yet Jesus was working on him. I, I, if that gives you any hope today, I want you to know, hey, listen, if you go see that film this afternoon or it's here till Wednesday, I think, what you're going to learn is that God will use people while they're in process. That's what you learn. And as we look at this passage right here, first off, your pastor is not your pastor because your pastor is perfect. That doesn't even need to be said, right? None of you are struggling with that idea. But the bottom line is this, is that the, here's the whole thing. A pastor is just the person because we can't move forward in any way except that God, is, it says in the book of Ephesians, that God has given to the church leaders. Just like any army, there has to be leaders. 
But it doesn't mean that they're perfect, but it does mean that working together, we can perfectly represent Jesus. And the, the Lord just reminds Peter in all of this, Peter, here's going to be the most important thing about you being a shepherd, is that it will all come down to this. This is what will make you a good pastor. But this will make you a good believer and follower of Christ. It comes down to this. Do you love him? At the end of the day, only thing that matters to Jesus is do we love him? There is one church that he rebuked, and he, what did he rebuke them for? In the book of Revelation, you lost your first love. Jesus said this, not concerning just only the pastures, but concerning the, the gathering of people. He says the world will know by your love for one another. I've been doing it. I, I, I got saved in 1965. You do the math. Here's the whole thing. In that whole process of all those years, right? You, I'm, I'm going on 58 years knowing Jesus. Different levels of love. That's just the bottom line. But in all of this, man, our trajectory, my trajectory is to know the love of Christ, the length, the depth, the breadth, the height, the surpassing greatness of the love of Christ for me. And God has the same thing for you as well. The Lord said, if you don't have first love to him, he'll remove the lampstand out of your church. He'll remove your light. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. Man, I struggled stepping into the ministry when I was a young man because I was just concerned about my imperfections. If you, it's an old joke, but if you wait until you're perfect to step out to do the will of God, you're like the young man who says, I'll get married when I can afford it. That day's not going to come. The thing is that you just step out and do what you're supposed to do, and you leave your imperfections in the hands of your Savior who died for your sins. And you move forward, and you just understand this, is that here's the revelation that I need. I need to just walk in the love of God. I need to stir up my love for God at all times. Love matters. Jesus said this, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a love that lays down its life. It's a love that will do anything, face any adversity, face any persecution, but it stays in for the sake of the love for the sheep. A pastor just defending and standing up is important because Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why Peter says, pastors, I want to speak to you. Don't do anything under compulsion. Uh, hopefully that the elders don't have to come to me and say, Jim, hey, it's 9 o'clock. It's Sunday. You better get there. <laughs> Not under compulsion but just driven by the love of Christ, right? Loving Jesus, loving you, loving the, the idea of the glory of God appearing upon his people. Just do it, he says, according to the will of God, and don't do it with greed, but do it with eagerness. Don't do it for money. 
Now listen, I'm just gonna tell you, the biblical guideline is, is that if a, a man is a teaching elder, and I, I, I don't play this hand, but actually the biblical mandate came that he's worthy in the area of finances of double honor. That's what the Bible says. The Bible's not against a, a person who's on the front lines being supported for it and supported well. But at the end of the day, the Bible just says if you're driven by money, and it's probably the area of money that has gotten most pastors in trouble. But then in verse 3, he says, don't be domineering. There's only one Lord of this church. I'm not your Lord, and I don't own you. Jesus is your Lord, and Jesus owns you. All that, that I just, I'm entrusted. That's all. It's just an entrustment. And so the Bible just helps us to understand this. If you lead a church by whipping the people or making them feel guilty or using a heavy hand, you're, you're, you're operating a church opposite of Jesus. You, the, the role of the pastor is to inspire people to love Jesus more. They say they want to be a part. It's, this sounds like a Seattle thing, and I think it happened in Seattle. This guy got the bright idea that he's going to not open up his restaurant and not charge anybody for food. You come in, you enjoy it, you pay for your food, and then leave a little bit extra, and they can feed somebody else that might be homeless. Well, that restaurant stayed open for about six weeks. But it's the same way for a church. Why, why does Jesus say, we, we don't make you come under compulsion and you didn't buy tickets to come to church today? Why? Because if the Holy Spirit's not inspiring it, there's absolutely no reason for you to be here. So we stay open because of your love for Christ. And the Bible in verse 4 of our text says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. When I stand before the Lord, I do know that I won't just give an answer for my life, but I'll give an answer for you as well. When he appears, I'll stand before Jesus. I know that. There's a higher judgment that will rest upon me, but I also understand this, that the Bible says that there will be a crown. So I know that when I get to heaven, sometime I'll be able to look around and I'll just say, oh, he's got a pastor's crown. But the bottom line is this, is that did you know that God has a crown for each and every one of you as well? Amen. Each one of us have different callings upon our lives. He's just challenging the pastors here and reminding them there's a pastor's crown. But the scriptures are full of the idea that for each person who enters into their calling and destiny, that there will be a crown for them. So no matter where your place of obedience is before the Lord, you'll be able to look across heaven and say, hey, that's one of the people that when they walked this earth were called to the same and commissioned to the same calling that I was called to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it talks about an athlete, and when he runs, he runs all, and that he runs to receive the crown. And it says they receive an, a perishable crown. But when we run as believers, we receive an imperishable crown. So the Lord just says, if you run with all your heart for him, you'll get a crown for it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, if you fight the good fight of faith and you allow your life to be poured out like a drink offering on the ground and you finish your course and you kept the faith, there will be reserved in heaven for you a crown of righteousness to receive. 
There's the crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 12 says the man who faces and perseveres during a time of a trial, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. When we stand before Jesus someday, and yes, I'm going to stand before him and give an account for the call of God upon our lives, my life, but we all will. And we will all receive crowns according to Jesus. Why wouldn't he do that? It's a good thing to do. And then when we stand before Jesus, we're going to take our crowns and we're going to cast them at his feet because it'll be all about him. So the Lord just reminds the shepherds, man, you've got to stand before the Lord someday. I'm going to say something to you and you might not like it, but I don't work for you. I work for the chief shepherd. At the end of the day, when we walked through some difficult times as a church, there was a lot of disagreement. At the end of the day, I had to just ask myself, who am I working for? If I listened to the voices of people, I'd have been scatterbrained. But at the end of the day, I know that I stand before Jesus and I give an account. Here's how we all live. You have a shepherd as well. At the end of the day, do I, should I be accountable to the elders here? Yes, I need to be accountable. But at the end of the day, I'll answer to Jesus. And so we can't be people pleasers and please the Lord. Pastors can't be people pleasers and please the Lord. Just reading the Rutherford letters. Have you heard of the Rutherford letters? In 1600, there was a man in Scotland who just began to get the revelation. Now, you get a load of this. This is, I think, here goes, Tim goes again. He started writing about how a constitutional government is a government that honors the Lord more than anything else and how the divine right of kings is giving to men the right that only belongs to Jesus. So he ended up in prison for it, a pastor. And so many people turned their back on him and so many rejected and so many of the rest of the clergy wanted nothing to do with him. And yet it was a man like Rutherford born in 1600 that began to stir the hearts of Western civilization to realize that people should be free. And he got that revelation from the word of God. And that was a man who ended up walking alone and he wrote his letters from prison and they're powerful. But he was a man that walked alone and he was called by Jesus to walk a path where a lot of sheep couldn't follow him and a lot of the other shepherds rejected him. But at the end of the day, he knew that he would stand before Jesus and he would stand before Jesus alone. And so we might not be able to even see in our generation whether people will give the honor that is that for, for standing for what is right. But if every man and every woman would just live with an awareness that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for how we live, that is the kind of men and women that change the world like Rutherford did. So then he wraps up by saying this, younger men, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the apostle Peter is just talking to the church and say, those of you who are younger, respect your elders, your older ones. 
They have experience. We live in a culture right now that despises the older, dis dismisses their experiences. Just no more honor for gray hair. It's, it's gone. We honor youth and beauty. But the Lord's just saying, I'm, I'm telling the church here that God has given to you men who care for you. They are experienced. Be subject to them. Listen to them because that's the only way you can move forward. And he says that after he told the elders. And I want to remind you that you're there to serve the people. So here's why he says, be in humility towards one another. So here's the thing, is that it is my responsibility to, to serve you in the, in, in the things of the word of God and to watch out for your protection and for, for your safety. And then he says, and it's your responsibility to allow the leaders to lead you because no army can move forward without leadership. And then he says, and then at the end of all of that, make sure that all of you walk in humility towards, towards one another. This is a day for humility with leaders. I might have said this in the first service. I hope not in this one. But now with the way the structures of the world are right now, the people that are in leadership have all of your personal information, and information is power. You can manipulate people now. The people in power can manipulate the people. And they have information on you and you don't have information on them. It's all one-sided. But we have to understand that the power structure of the New Testament church was poised against the small group of believers. But the Lord says, but a grace will fall upon you if you walk in humility. You're not lording over one another. You're serving one another and there, there's humility, and that we will not enter into the ego and the pride of those who lead our generation, but that we will walk in the humility of Christ towards one another. And so let's just have that mindset too. I believe that God wants to pour out his spirit and is pouring out his spirit on our nation right now. What I didn't read for you in Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord says, I will call a nation that will run to me. There's a promise for nations. But the thing is this, is that the only kind of people that can receive the grace and revival is a grace. The only kind of people that can receive that grace are, are a humble group of people. And, and, and the thing is this, is that nothing will shut down revival faster than the ego of church leaders. And we've got to guard our heart against it. We, let's all move forward in simplicity, humility, and in love towards one another, and then God will be glorified. Can you say amen? Let's all stand up this morning. Father, I just thank you, O oh Lord. Lord, this is just a very practical message, but I believe that it's a message of preparation for the congregation to be able to move forward in the day in which we live. And I, I pray, Lord God, that this church would be known for our love for one another. We would truly love one another, serve one another. We take care of each other. If someone needs meals, if children need to be ministered to, Lord God, if there's places and positions that need to be manned in, as we move forward, if there's ministries that need the strength, Lord God, of, of coming together and, and serving one another and making your mission and calling come to pass, I, I pray, Lord, that we would be found faithful in it. Make us good stewards, oh God, of what you're doing on the earth today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to, before I dismiss everyone today, there might be someone here today and you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
and I want you to have an opportunity to give your heart to him. And you might say to me, Pastor Jim, I don't even know how to do that. And I'm not giving you a formula, but I just want to be able to lead you to Jesus. That's what we call it, leading someone to Jesus Christ. I'm not asking now if you're baptized. I'm not asking you now if, you've, if you have a church membership or if you're a member of this church. That has nothing to do with what I'm asking you. I'm asking you right now, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you met him? Have you asked him to wash away your sins? Have you come to him as a sinner? And I'm not pointing the finger at you. Uh, we've all sinned. We're all sinners. But we can come to Jesus and receive the cleansing of his blood that will wash away all of our sins and make us whole. Make us right with God. And the Spirit of God will come and live inside of you. And if you say to me, Pastor Jim, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I'm just going to lead you now to him. We can close in a closing prayer. And if you say to me, Pastor Jim, I want to I give my heart to Jesus today. And I want to be included. I'm including myself in a closing prayer. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just saying, today's my day. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I want to know God. I want to know him. Then if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to take one more step. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come forward here today. I did it when I gave my heart to Jesus. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to look in, at anybody in the, in the church. But the Lord says this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father and his angels. Have you met Jesus today? Do you know without a doubt you're ready to meet the Lord? If not, would you just raise up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, today's my day of salvation. Today I want to know him. I'll give the Holy Spirit just a few moments. He'll speak to you if you're a child of God. The Bible said the Holy Spirit will let you know that you're his child if you're truly born again. If you don't have that voice of the Holy Spirit, Today is the day where you can give your heart to him. Is there anyone here? Just lift up your hand saying, I'm giving my heart to Jesus today. God, you're so good. You're so faithful and so awesome. We love you so much, Lord. I just pray for this group of people, Father. Bless their going out and their coming in, Lord God. Bless the roof over their head. Bless, Lord God, the substance of their lives. Most of all, Lord God, bless their singleness, their marriages, Lord God. Bless their families, their descendants, oh God. I pray, Father, that their work, the work of their hands would be blessed, oh Lord. I pray your health and healing and provision and protection over each one of their lives. Let the joy of the Lord be their strength and give them peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all so much for coming today. There will be folks here in the front. No matter what your need is, please come forward. We want to be able to pray with you. Again, if you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I want to ask you to come forward. Let us pray with you to lead you to know the Lord. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.